You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for episodes 2, 9, and 10 from HBO's Station 11, Jeremy Podeswa. Where's your mom or dad? I don't know. I can't leave you here. I'll walk you to the L. I think this thing is really happening. You can see it out there. Uh, can I have your attention, please? We have shelter. We have food. This is the best thing that could have possibly happened. We're the Traveling Symphony. We travel for a reason. Just try to make the world make sense for a minute. No one finds people from before. Sometimes I think we should be out there looking for them. I come to you with an invitation. To the Museum of Civilization. Beware the prophet. Beware the children who follow him. What happened to you in the first 100? I was lucky. You had grown up and cared about me. Welcome to the Museum of Civilization. Before. It's coming back. I won't let it. We have to abandon the future. All that matters is the now and what got us to this point. We're in this together, and we're a family now. So, how many people have we seen now? Plow guy, the two bandana meth guys. Mm, The lady with no eyes. The lady with no eyes. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for talking with me about your work on Station Eleven. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. So glad to talk about it. Well, this show is unique in in that it really jumps around in time periods, different ensembles, locations. Uh, it's pretty vast in that way. You directed episodes two, nine, and ten. Uh-huh. How out of order were episodes filmed? Was it more than on other shows? Yes, it was very out of order. Um, you know, we had a lot of different considerations in terms of weather. Um, location availability, COVID got thrown into the mix of it. So many things affected the schedule. Uh, But weather was really the biggest one because we had to sort of span many seasons. We spanned winter, spring, summer. And we needed like really distinct looks for each of those. And uh, so we started shooting the show in Chicago in the winter. Then we shot two episodes, one and three. Then COVID hit. Then we were down for what was supposed to be a few weeks while we sort of waited for weather to shift a little bit. And instead became six months and um then we had to wait around for the next winter to keep shooting more winter stuff and then for the next spring and and summer so yeah it was really um you know episode two is in the summer and that was shot the very last um that was probably the most green most um lush that we wanted for that episode and uh we shot a lot of interior things like the airport to bridge the seasons and um yeah that's kind of how it worked so it was really was really kind of driven by a lot of different things but not so much the narrative progression what was that like shooting a show about a pandemic and then getting shut down by a pandemic? 
it was surreal. Um, it was definitely one of the situations where, you know, life was imitating art. We felt like we were, you know, doing this thing, which is really its own little creative enterprise that was not really sort of, I mean, I think Emily St. John Mandela wrote the novel, had written it based on earlier, smaller pandemics that had existed before, like, you know, West Nile virus or, um, you know, a bunch of other little things. And, you know, nobody could have predicted well, although scientists, I think, did predict it for a long time, but I think nobody in my world was really predicting this to happen so soon. And um, yeah, then it happened. And I remember actually that really the first inkling of it was when we were shooting in Chicago and there was like just the first little buzz about something happening in a faraway part of the world. And then Chicago, you may remember, was became the epicenter at the beginning in America. And the first inkling was kind of there where there was like little notices like on street corners of like you know, this possible thing you wash your hands and i don't think people were masking at that point yet but it was like there's was a little buzz about a virus and and i remember like looking at that seeing that on a telephone pole and thinking oh that's weird like we're making this show and it's that's very strange but it didn't i didn't really land it's like something major that we have to work it was just oh that's a weird coincidence and then within days it became like the thing and you know, amazingly, we we had fully shot those two episodes before the world shut down. So one and three were really completed. And those are, in many ways, those are the episodes that deal the most with the pandemic and the sort of the contemporary onset of a pandemic, which is the most like what we ended up experiencing a very short time later. So it was very, very strange. And then we went back into shooting the show, doing the bulk of it, the last eight episodes. It was like peak pandemic before vaccines. Um, you know, so it was like, you know, everybody had been in their house for six months, nobody had gone out and we were among the first shows to go back to work. And we, you know, it was a very strange, scary thing to, you know, kind of launch into, but in the end, it ends up becoming a beautiful thing too, because we, you know, we all came out of our shells to kind of make this thing together. And it had a real sense, there was a real sense of purpose around it. There was a sense of urgency around it. It was, um, it ends up being a very unique, amazing experience, actually. Yeah, it's almost like right place, right time. Well, uh, right is the interesting word, but... Uh, fate. There's an element of fate. Just yeah. this added poignancy to the show. I'm sure it would have been phenomenally sure. poignant regardless, but it's just even more so. Yeah, I really think so. Yeah. I mean, I think so much you know, the, the show is dealing with loss and dealing with how you overcome things like that. and you know, we were, the world was experiencing that, you know, as we were making the show and, you know, like, how do you deal with this kind of cosmic shift in our world? And we were all experiencing that. And whether we'd experienced the loss ourselves or we're just hearing about it on the news, it was just like, it was a lot that was happening. And the show seemed to mirror that in a really eerie, but kind of incredible way. You directed, like I said, episodes two, nine, and 10. And in episode 10, obviously the 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 series finale so uh lots of very big things happen in that episode the the hamlet sequence is especially interesting from a directorial standpoint how did you ensure a balance between actually portraying the play directing a a portrayal of a piece of hamlet um and also keeping the the emotions from the the actual story that's happening in the show how tricky was that kind of balance well, it is tricky, but I think what was really a, a gigantic help is that Patrick Somerville, who wrote the script, did such a beautiful job of sort of weaving Hamlet, you know, so the essence of Hamlet into the story of Station Eleven. 
And so, you know, Hamlet is really about a guy, Hamlet, whose father is murdered and he's dealing with the loss of his father. So it's dealing with loss right away of loved ones. And also uh, kind of dealing a bit with a sense of betrayal because it's his mother and his and her new husband who were kind of the Claudius who were the architects of this tragedy. And so it's like coming to terms with betrayal, coming to terms with loss. Um, you know, that's very much what Hamlet's about, but it's also what Tyler's story in Station Eleven is really about. It's about the loss of his father, and again, but also in a larger sense, the loss of everything through the pandemic. Um, but very specifically, it is about the loss of his father and about the betrayal of his mother. And so it's, you know, the, the amazing thing and the great thing is that we didn't change a single word of Hamlet. But when Tyler is talking to Elizabeth, his mother, it's he's using Hamlet's words. He is saying what Tyler would say to his mother. And it's so the those uh, those things are so closely aligned in the storytelling that you almost forget that you're watching Shakespeare because it looks like a father, uh, sorry, a son and a mother talking to each other. And that's really what it's about. So this, it's kind of like a, a genius way of dealing with Hamlet, taking the sort of the, the curse off of it in a way. Like you don't have to know anything about Hamlet to really, you know, understand what the inner dynamics of the story is for these characters. And, you know, the actors did such a wonderful job embodying that. And, you know, like a, that's a very meta thing where they're like playing Hamlet, but they're really playing themselves. And the psychodrama of Hamlet is going to balance with the psychodrama of their own lives and you know the merging of that like they they played really beautifully but it's also baked into the script which is really great yeah the the actors really make that scene extremely powerful and throughout the entire thing this ensemble is phenomenal and often when we talk about child actors we we sometimes grade on a curve right we're like oh they're good for a for a kid and um that is not the case for matilda lawler uh she's not just good for a kid she completely holds her own with this cast and she is just phenomenal tell me what it was like working with her and directing her she's a force of nature like she's i've never seen anyone who is more unnatural than her and she's intelligent and sophisticated way beyond her years and you know like you never would even imagine talking down to her as a child because she is a grown-up for all intents and purposes. You know, she um, she understands everything so clearly about what she's doing. She understands all the layers of what she's doing. She so understood what the show was about, you know, on a thematic level. Um, and, you know, just has an unbelievable instinct for playing a scene. Like, she just knows what to do. Like, no direction required. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't say that, so it makes it sound like I did nothing. But in a way, with her, there's, it's... It's really just about like tweaking, you know, it's like as with the best actors, it's always just like you, you give a suggestion or you kind of nudge in a certain direction. They completely know what you mean. And they like, just, they just go there. You don't, not a lot of work is required. It's a fine tuned instrument, I would say. And also like an amazing kid. She's like incredibly well brought up by two fabulous parents. And she's uh, just like a gem. I, I think she's, she is probably the best child actor I've ever worked with. Um, I don't even like to call her a child actor. I mean, she's the best young actor I've ever worked with. Um, she's uh, phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it, actually. She's great. And she's just so moving in the show, like moving and, and dramatic and funny and complicated and original in her line readings and unexpected and spontaneous, like all these things that, you know, you always hope for and almost never find in a young actor. I... I... Completely agree. I think that that comes across very clearly through the show. 
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Uh, I'd love to know just more about you and your process. You know, you you are kind of a, a legend in TV, directed so many uh, episodes of incredible shows. What's your typical preparation method when you're when you're brought onto a show? Wow. Um, well, I mean, there's certain things when you're directing that are sort of typical that you would just do from show to show in terms of preparation. And, you know, as a director, I'm involved in everything from casting to, you know, location scouting and, uh, you know, making choices with the art department, with the costume department, with hair and makeup. And, you know, you have your hand in sort of everything and you're sort of the final arbiter of what appears on screen, really. Um, a friend of mine sort of described what a director does as being a, um, a bullshit detector. And I think that in many ways, everything gets reduced down to that because it's really up to you to decide, well, yes, that character would have that couch in their house, but they wouldn't have that couch. Or yes, I believe that they would wear this thing, but they wouldn't wear that thing. Or you know, anything that feels off or inauthentic, you, you sort of become the arbiter of what those things are. And that could also be go to performance as well. Like if you feel the line doesn't ring true or somehow it just doesn't feel authentic. So your, uh, for lack of a better word, your bullshit meter goes, like, you know, yes, I, I believe that or I don't believe that or I buy it or I don't buy it. And, and that's really effectively what the job is in addition to a lot of planning and, you know, thinking about how you want to shoot something and what the language of the show is going to be visually. And, and then, of course, you're dealing with actors and with the script. So helping them get through the layers of the script and, you know, all of that and where the scene fits into the larger whole and, you know, how to approach the scene and you know, and how to tweak the performances all the way through. So it's, you know, it's very hard to describe exactly what the job is, but that, that is always the director's job on this particular show, because I was also an EP and came on very early. There was a lot of world building involved. So there's a lot of, you know, what is year 20, what we call year 20, which is 20 years after the pandemic. What is that going to look like? What does the world look like when nine tenths of the world's population is gone and there's no internet and there's no electricity and there's no plumbing and, you know, and people are living, surviving in a different way what does that look like? And so that's like bottom up, you know, a, a kind of discussion of 
how things need to be. And in this particular show, what does a theater company look like that travels around the countryside, which were, you know, with no cars that work and no, how do you transport things and how do you put on a show and how do you light a show at night without electricity? And, you know, it becomes a massive uh, kind of R and D thing in terms of, you know, creating this world in an authentic and interesting way, which I'm hugely in and embedded by, you know, Patrick, who the co the creator of the show and every department head who did such an incredible job and, you know, but it becomes like a big collective effort of creation. And that's, you know, this show was a big one. What was your biggest directorial challenge on station 11? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, there were, there were so many challenges in a way in terms of the world creation. It was really like, 20 years down this road of survival for all these characters it's like you have to really imagine like what is everything what do people wear or like what how do they get around like you know it's there's there's so many questions of like what everything should look and feel like and you know kind of fleshing out the realities that's like a big one but you know another challenge of the show is just that it's a really it's a multi-strand narrative that spans a lot of time and a lot of different locations and you have to create a kind of coherent vision for the entire thing. And so it's, you know, also we had multiple directors working on it and it's like, you know, how to, as an EP and as a, as a director to, to kind of pull, pull it all into one tent, you know, and make it one show that feels organic and again, consistent while exploring different worlds in different time periods. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a fun challenge. Those are kind of the most fun challenges there are because, you know, having such a big campus is so exciting, you know, from a filmmaking point of view. There's so many different kind of things that you're dealing with. And it's exciting that you get to bring it all together in one show and, and play the things off of each other and they'd let them resonate off each other, bounce off each other in a great way. Well, one last question before I let you go here, Jeremy. Um, you've had, like I said, a, just a prolific career, uh, legendary lineups. I'm, just, I'm not even going to read your whole list here, but just so so our listeners can have a, a an understanding of how many incredible shows you've, you've been a part of. Emmy nominations for Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, The Pacific, on top of The Handmaid's Tale, True Detective, Homeland, Walking Dead, Six Feet Under, Dexter, Weeds. So, and that's just like a little piece of all the incredible work you've done. Um, so a very broad question for you with okay. such a, such an amazing career. What, what's one of your proudest moments, just a moment that you think back on, let's say station 11 aside, yeah. what, what's a moment that you think back on and say that, that was one of my favorite moments of my career. Um, God, there are so many, I mean, there are, okay. I have to say a few. Yeah. Yeah. Because like one of them, one of the earlier ones, I think was when I six feet under was the first show that I directed the first HBO show. And, um, it was such a gift to do that show because every time I got directed every season of the show, but every time I got a script, I would be so excited just, just to read it because it was as a piece of writing, it was so beautiful. And I could, you know, I was always moved. Like it was always funny and heartbreaking and it was just, it was just everything. And, you know, I, I'll never forget one day I had on set and I was doing a scene with, uh, with Claire and her mother, the, the daughter and the mother in a kitchen. And it was a simple two-hander scene, but they're having this huge fight. And, we just like did a rehearsal for it and they, in the rehearsal, it was so amazing. Like I was like, I was, I just took my breath away. They're such good actors, both of them. And it was Francis Conroy and Lauren Ambrose. They're just incredible actors. And like, I was, I just like, I couldn't breathe. Like I would just, I watched, it was like, I was watching a play in front of me. These two incredible actors just going at it. 
And I was like, oh my God, I was like, that I was such a gift to just be there and just watch these two actors perform. And I didn't have to do anything. I was like, I was just like, we have to shoot this the simplest way possible because I don't want to lose like any of like this feeling that I have right now and keep it alive. And let's shoot it simply, shoot it quickly, get these performances because that's what it's about. And that's what we did. And it was just like, it was just magical. So that was like for my first TV series, really like to work with actors of that level, with material of that level of, that was very exciting to me, you know, to kind of see something come alive in that way. So that was very memorable. And then I think the, the next one would be doing the TV series Rome, the HBO series, um, which was shot in Cinecittà and in Rome. There's the legendary studio that Fellini made his movies in and where Cleopatra was shot and um, Scorsese did Gangs of New York. Like, it's just legendary place. And, you know, it was my first big show abroad, first, like, you know, when I was a young filmmaker, I never imagined I was going to do sword and sandals and, you know, like that, like that kind of like Roman, ancient Roman epic filmmaking. And there I was like standing in the most famous studio in the world in Rome, directing, you know, <laughs> these Roman centurions. And it was like, it was, it was really like a pinch me moment. I was like, I, I was like, at the time I was like, I wish every person I know could be here and watch this because they would not believe it that I'm standing here directing this show. And I, so that was like really a, a kind of amazing thing for me, just like, like, how did I get here? And it was such a fun experience too, that it was like, that was great. And then I would say the third thing would be Game of Thrones, like directing that show where, you know, every time it was just, you know, so epic and so fun and, you know, such a great cast and such an amazing group of creative people making that show. So I could never pick like a single moment from that series, but it, you know, I did, I didn't know how many episodes I directed of it, six maybe, but every, every time it was just, you know, magic. It was great. That's awesome. Well, uh, Jeremy, you always bring magic to the screen and, and uh, so I'm just grateful for your work and thank you for your work on station 11. So like I said before, it's just a really special show. Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with director Jeremy Padesua, who is up for your consideration for outstanding directing for a limited or anthology series or movie at this year's Emmy Awards for his work on Station Eleven. You have been listening to the Next Best Series podcast, part of the Next Best Picture podcast umbrella, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. 
We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.